So Pastor Byron's got a word for us today. We're excited. If you could uh, posture your heart, <laughs> I'd like to declare that scripture again, that we will be filled with the revelation of the knowledge of God. And also, Lord, thank you for revealing your power to us. Don't let us be like those disciples who got rebuked. <laughs> the master, the Lord of the whole universe was in the boat with them. And they were afraid. God, show us your power. Let us know you intimately. God, let us not be afraid. And we thank you for unveiling our eyes, unveiling our hearts, uh, wiping off any kind of film off of our minds, Lord, so that we can receive and understand and ingest the word of God. And we thank you in Jesus' name. And we bless Pastor Byron today. Lord, give him the flow of the Holy Ghost, the anointing, Lord, both in and, and resting on him today. We just speak wind of the Spirit blowing on him. In Jesus' name, we bless him. Bless him, bless him, bless him. Amen. Well, that might be kind of a hard to live up to, right? <laughs> hey, I want to get, thank the worship team. That was awesome. Yeah. I was really blessed. Um, and that was really good, Marlon and, and uh, Luis. Their, their ministry here was powerful. Oh, I just want to, I pray, you know, I felt the Holy Spirit right in the minute Marlon started praying. It was like a wind sort of yes. blowing through my mind. Right. And it's like he's blowing stuff out <laughs> and blowing something good in. Yes. Amen. Amen. That's what he does. He blows that bad stuff out and blows That's good right. stuff in. So uh, I wanted to tell you, we did a, a special meeting last night for people who wear masks and who haven't been to church in a long time because of their situation. And so we did, uh, it was, it turned out to be a really awesome time. Uh, Shane and Katrina led the worship. It was really, really a, a great time of worship. Um, you know, we did communion. That was really sweet. I, I wasn't really happy with my message last night. Uh, <laughs> you know, when you uh, do something and later in the day, you have plenty of time to do bad things. Like getting an argument with your your spouse, and then you get in a fight with your wife. You you know you work out in the yard. You get mad about something that's not working quite correctly. So you have a lot more to overcome in the morning. There's less to overcome. You know what I'm saying? So that, that's sort of how I felt about that, and uh, I was disappointed really because what I shared last night was really special to me personally, but it didn't come out special. <laughs> Came out kind of bad. I thought I'm all, I was going to do it this morning, but I, because I did so terrible last night, I wouldn't have no confidence talking about that today. But I promise you, I'm going to ask the Lord about it more. I prayed about it some last night, and I'm going to go back and figure out why I couldn't do what I. You know, some some you know what you, sometimes you feel something deep inside of you. But you just can't get it to come out. It just, it's like it's not quite getting there. So I'm going to share something else this morning. Okay? But it's along the same lines. Because I wanted to read, uh, first I'm going to read 1 Samuel 22. And I pray that you guys are doing well this morning. If, uh, you should be. I mean, you were in some amazing worship time here. I mean, the Spirit of the Lord was really flowing in this room. And if I mess that up, that's just too bad. <laughs> That's, that, don't make that between me and you. Make that between you and God. So David uh, left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. This is a famous story. Soon his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there. David was on the run from Saul. And he had to go. And uh, he had been hanging out with the Philistines, which were mortal enemies of Israel, just to, be, just to protect himself. From, from being killed by Saul. And he, he had to leave there, and he went into this cave out in the wilderness. And it says his family actually came to him and joined him there because, they, because, David cre because of who David was, it created problems for his family. Yeah. It brought the reproach that David was carrying on him, and at least in Saul's eyes, it brought it upon his whole family. Saul was wanting to kill David. 
So he, he knew he could get to David by getting to his family. And so his family had to flee also. So you see, when we read the Bible, we think about these stories. There's so much more going on. There's so much collateral damage, so to speak, that are, that's happening around him that we don't really often think about. I remember years ago, we had a terrible situation. Many of y'all remember uh, where a young man that, we, that was a part of our church was murdered. And uh, I had never ever thought about the collateral damage when something like that happens, that there's like this wave of damage that goes out from something that affects a lot of people. And to get caught up into something like that and, and try to, you know, navigate through it. And so we understand that David, not only was he fleeing for his life, he was having to deal with his family, try to protect his family uh, and make sure that they were not going to be murdered also. Uh, so you can see that this was a, a time of great pain and a great burden on David. But then it says in verse 22, I'm just trying to get you to really step into David, step into the Bible. Uh, that's the way to read the Bible, to put yourself into it and, and begin to see it as, as if you are, you're there. You're that person, and what's, you know what I'm saying? And, and it's not just a story. All of a sudden, you're beginning to experience what they experienced. And, and, and you realize there's a lot more that is not written in the Scripture, but it, obviously it couldn't be, but that was uh, resting and coming, you know, against uh, David at that time. It says, then others began coming, men who were in trouble or in debt who were, or, or were just discontented, until, the David was, until David was the captain of about 400 men. So, you know, what I wanted to, you know, I talked to you a couple of weeks, for a couple of weeks about spiritual warfare because we're in, we're in a time of, of warfare right now like never before. And I was saying this morning, uh, uh, don't be afraid to, pra- to praise, and they kept singing that. I kept thinking, that's a call to war. That's a call to war because you know in the Bible God sent the, the worshipers out before Him. They were the first to go out into battle, uh, and and the worship would bring down the presence of God, and then enemies would be brought down. And I just kept feeling that, and I was even noticing Becky had her her camo on this morning. She ain't heard a word. She's not listening to me. Rhonda's fault. Anyways, um, back to camo. But we really are in a time of, of, of spiritual warfare like never before. And so I feel like in, in these verses, um, there's a lot that, that we can gather in this time for ourselves. To me, they really apply to the, to the times we live in. So I got a few things that I wrote down here that, that I've been pondering on. Um, so first I want to talk about those men. It says they were, these men were in trouble. That's the way it phrased it. They were in trouble or they were in debt or they were just plain discontented. In other words, these people, these men couldn't make it in the kingdom of Saul. Okay? Saul was a demonically oppressed uh, king and he was demonically oppressing the nation of Israel. That was, that was the atmosphere that he was releasing in, in that. And not everybody was thriving in that atmosphere. Okay? Some people just were not fitting in with what was going on with culture. Do you understand what I'm telling you? They just weren't, it didn't work for them. And some of them just plain flat were in trouble in their life. Period. They just had trouble. It, no, it didn't tell us what the trouble but you can, whatever troubles we've seen, it could be marriage trouble. It could, one of them was, they, it mentioned financial trouble, relational trouble, or just plain discontent, just was not happy with the way things were going, not happy with the way their life was going. And so it really kind of speaks of salvation, right? Most people get saved not because life is going great, but because Something is not working in your life. You, you feel something in you. You know something. There, there has to be something more to life. I mean, as a minimum. And you got this nagging thing called the Holy Spirit that won't leave you. You didn't know it then, but he nags you. He bothers you. 
to try to draw you into the kingdom. And so this is, in a sense, of what was happening with these men. That things weren't working, and, and, and we can take it even into our own Christian life, that we find times where things are just not working for us, and we begin to look for answers. And so these men, for whatever reason, believed that David was a guy that may have some answers for him. David was a guy that at least it would be better to hook up with David than be hooked up with Saul. They, had, they saw something. They felt something. But the problem was David was on the run. He was an outlaw. He was a criminal in the, in the natural realm. He was being hunted down like a dog, you know, and he had nothing to offer those people. Zero. He had no promise of a kingdom. He had no promise that he could do anything. Had no money. Had no fame. Had nothing. He was infamous at that time in Israel. He was infamous. And these, but still, these men, there was something in them that provoked them to see something in David before anybody else was seeing it. They were seeing God had gifted them to see something. God had gifted those men to see in David that he was something. But there was no guarantee of it. There was no promise of it. You know, we have some promises from, from God. We have this a promise of abundant life, right? We have a promise of forgiveness of sins, you know, but there's a lot of things that God doesn't promise us. He doesn't promise us life is going to be easy. He doesn't promise us everything is going to go our way. He doesn't promise us that we're not going to lose people that we dearly love. He doesn't promise those things to us. Yet we have determined that God himself is worth it. Even if we don't get those things we would like to have, we have determined in our hearts God himself. And, I, and see, that's what these men had determined. Even though there was no guarantee of anything, in fact, they were going at the risk of their life because they knew Saul was a powerful man. He had a powerful army behind him, and they knew that perhaps David may get caught and we'll go down with David. So that kind of puts a different perspective on things, doesn't it? So, But one of the things that... Uh, that, I, that really stands out to me is these men, as you well know, became David's mighty men. That's how the Bible describes They became something. They didn't come in as mighty men. They came in as broken people, really. But they became something, and they became something because of their association with David. Do you hear what I'm telling you? And so this is really important if, if, is, you know, David carried this anointing on. In fact, it says in Psalm 89, 20, this is the Lord speaking. This is a, a fascinating verse. I have found my servant David. I found him. It's almost like God was looking for that person. I mean, that's a, a pretty, pretty amazing thought that God was actually looking for somebody. And he said, I found him. And it says, I anointed him with my holy oil. And that's Psalm 89, verse 20. I didn't put it up there, I don't think. But. So, you know, this is the thing. You can have an increase of anointing in your life or a decrease based on your, who you associate with. Wow. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? Yes. Your associations can bring an anointing into your life. These men would have never become who they are, who they became apart from David. Wow. But because God had anointed David, they got some of that anointing. They became something. They didn't become David, but they became something powerful. They became something amazing. And you see this principle all through, it's all through the Bible. You got Joshua and Moses, right? Joshua and You got Elijah and Elisha, right? You got the 12 guys that became 11 that hung out with Jesus and became these amazing people because of why? It says when they created, they did a miracle, Acts 4, uh, Acts 3 and 4, this miracle, and it says the Pharisees and the, the rulers noted that they had been with Jesus. These untrained, uneducated men, they became something because of who they associated themselves with. And you got Paul and Timothy. So really, it's, it's just this thread that runs throughout the entire Bible. You know, we all want an anointing. We all, all want something more. 
in our life. We want God to do something in our life. And one of the avenues that he's given us is who you're going to hang out with, who you're going to associate with, you know? And so that's a, that's a real, if you really want to really step into an anointing, if you want to become everything that God has ordained you to be, you need to look around you and find people that are carrying what you believe God has put, put into your heart and you need to go hang out with them. And it doesn't matter. And, and you know, you've got to take the attitude that these men had. You, we've got to get back to this in the church that we go and we, we might say, they can't pay me. They may not have enough time for me. They may not do anything for me. But I got, I'm not happy with where I'm at. I'm desperate for something, and it's not money. It's not money I'm desperate for. It's not a title I'm desperate for. It's not a ministry. I just want what God has for me. I've been created for something. I've been placed on this earth, and I'm not going to be happy till I find it. And see, we have created an atmosphere where, you know, you're only going to hang with something that's going to benefit you on a natural level. And if that's all we're doing for Christianity, if it's all about what we get from God in this life only, we've made a terrible mistake. We have gotten off the, off the rails of Christianity because that's not what it's about. It's not about that. Now, I promise you this. God wants to bless you abundantly and more than you can, above and beyond more than you can ask or think according to the power that works in you. He wants to do all those things. It's not like he's against them. But see, God's looking for the heart. He's looking for people with that kind of heart like these men had. And they really get captured as they were with David. They captured the heart of David. And they begin to walk as a person like David. Y'all good? Yes, sir. And I believe God's still looking for David's. I believe he's still looking for men and women like that. I, I really do. With all my heart, I believe that. And I'll be honest with you, I believe it's what the body of Christ in America needs right now. Yes. I, you know what I'm saying? We really need that. We need that heart attitude like that now. Because what we were and how things were, it's over. It's over, y'all. I'm telling you it's over. It may not feel over, but all of what was before 2020, I believe, as far as God is concerned, that's history. And he wants to bring us something. I keep telling everybody, you got pre-COVID, you got in the middle of COVID, and you're going to have post-COVID church. And I don't believe we should go back. You know, I think Randall Worley mentioned that he talks to a lot of pastors like, hey, can we get a factory? We're hoping for a factory reset. You know, a factory reset. You go back to the original. Well, I'm thinking, I don't want, if the factory reset is American Christianity as it has been, I don't want that. No, sir, don't give me that. Give me the biblical factory reset. Give me something that's going to make a difference in this world. Give me something that's going to give us answers for ourselves and for the world around us. That's what I'm looking for. That's Holy Ghost. Yeah. Holy Ghost, is that what you're saying? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there's some Holy Ghost people here. Let me read some of 2 Samuel 28, uh, 2 Samuel 23, 8 through 22, Okay. And this is the story of David's three mightiest warriors. He had 400, but he had three that were exceptional. He had some exceptional people. I just want to read this because this is such a beautiful, it gives some more insight uh, on this whole thing. So number one, I just, just make sure you're clear, spiritual warfare. To be successful in whatever arena of spiritual warfare you are, you are is association. You need to find some association, okay? Guilt by association, you know what I'm saying? Let's be guilty of associating with somebodies and people that have this anointing on their life that's impacting us, okay? That's doing something to us, that's making us become the mighty men and women that God has called us to be. That's, that's the first one. All right, so these are the names, of, oh, Lord help, of, of David's mightiest warriors, his mightiest ones. The first was Jash. Obin, he had a beautiful name, the Hackmanite. Yeah, he was something, wasn't he? He was really something. Who was the leader of the three, the three mightiest warriors among David's men? Listen to this. This is insanity. I don't really understand these kind of guys. I mean, these guys are just, just make, when I read this, I think, this is crazy. 
He wants to use his spear to kill 800 enemy warriors in a single battle. Can you believe a person, a man could do that? One man in a spear killed 800, not children, not women. I'm talking fighting men. I'm talking about men that we would, if we saw them, we'd take off running as hard as we could. These were no pushovers. These were terrible guys. These were vicious guys. And this guy killed 800 of them. Isn't that that amazing? That's just amazing to me. Uh, Next in rank among the three was Eleazar, son of Dodai, a descendant of... He has some names, man. Once this guy and David stood together against the Philistines when the entire Israelite army had fled. I don't know why they fled, but it don't sound good. Okay, but so you got two guys standing. And he killed, uh, the, he killed Philistines until his hand was too tired to lift his sword. You know what it literally says? That his hand had seized upon the sword. He, his hand had cramped. And he couldn't release it. He fought that long and that hard. That's amazing. That's, that's literally, you know, it's beyond exhaustion. It's beyond, uh, you know, what your body could normally do. And it says that the Lord gave a great victory that day. Uh, the rest of the army did not return until it came time to collect the plunder. That sort of sounds like us. Oh, the fight's over. <laughs> We're going to collect the plunder. You know, they call you a blister. Uh, somebody's moving, you show up after they're moved. I'm a blister. You know, all the work's, you know, blisters show up after the work's done. Yeah. I've told people that about moving stuff now. I'm saying I'm a blister at this point in my life. I'll show up when y'all done. I'll bring pizza. <laughs> Next in rank was Shema, son of Agi from Har. Yeah, come on. Harar. Harar. Sound like somewhere in Africa. Harari. Right? We went there. Remember that? No, you weren't with us, though. Yeah. One time the Philistines, next time, Marlon. One time the Philistines gathered at Lehi and attacked the Israelites in a field full of lentils. The, again, the Israelite army fled. But Shema held his ground in the middle of the field and beat back the Philistines. The guy fought for a bean field. Fought for a bean field. Big or little. These guys fly, and it says the Lord brought about a great victory. So these are powerful things. But I didn't want to notice to point out these guys were exceptional. I don't really understand these kind of people. Like I said a few weeks ago, I don't understand how King David could kill a lion and a bear. I mean, I, that makes no sense to me at all how a human being can do that. I know no human being on this earth today could kill a lion or bear unless they had like a high-powered rifle and they were... A, a hundred yards away. No man would go and fight those animals. If you don't believe it, look up some videos of grizzly bears fighting. Wow. Or lions and tigers fighting each other. It's, it's crazy. It's insanity. Those things have teeth that long. They say a lion's tail, if he lashed his tail against you, could break your arm. Just his tail is so powerful. It's crazy. And David killed him. So these were remarkable people. But it says the Lord brought or gave a great victory. The Lord did it. See, that's what that was really clear to point out in, in two of these instances, that, that God did that. And so I think one of the keys for spiritual warfare is it has to be the Lord's battle. It can't be our battle. You know, it can't be our pet theology. It can't be our pet political position. You know what? It needs to be what God's fighting. That was one of the beautiful things about David. In his life, he learned about battles. He would not enter into a fray unless he asked the Lord about it. And if the Lord told him to go, he would go. If the Lord said no, it was not. He was not fighting it because he knew I can't. No matter how powerful he was and no matter how he had this great men, he could not win battles without it being the Lord's battle. That's the only battle we're guaranteed to win. Is when God calls us into a battle, we can be assured that God's going to fight the battle. And we're going to just do it through Him. And we're going to release the power of God. And we really do have to pay attention to this because what they were mentioning, Marlon and Becky and Louise, was about this spirit of strife. 
that wants to pull us into a fight and pull us into a disagreement. Okay, it's a spirit, it's delusional. Don't let that spirit tell you what you need to fight. Don't let that spirit tell you who you need to debate and argue with. Let the Holy Spirit tell you, walk away. Don't do it. It's not worth it. You know, it's really not. And I think we have to learn to do that. It doesn't mean that we're giving up what we believe is right. It just means God doesn't want me in that fight. He may want somebody else in it that can actually win it. (laughs) So I think that's really important for us right now in in the culture we live in. Um, you know, this is a side note, but there's this guy out there, I say out there, he's out there in the virtual world who's absolutely brilliant, and for years he has took and analyzed uh, videos from news and personal videos of people of situations, like warfare situations. He did a lot with ISIS and all that. And that guy, could, he could take a, a, a thing and, and dissect it and tell you what was really happening. I mean, he was that brilliant. Stuff you, you and I would never like, what? I couldn't see that. And he's analyzed some of this stuff that's happened, some of these killings that have happened, like out in Portland and different places where, where these, these uh, real radical, uh, you know, BLM and Antifa, these Marxist group, and he has analyzed and shown how they, their, how what they do is try to draw a person in, and and it's not just a random thing; it's all very planned. He would pinpoint people walking into the scenes and all that. And it's like the enemy baiting people. Okay, this last guy that got killed, there was a guy that got killed a few weeks ago. That guy was baited into that situation, very baited into it, and there was like three or four people there that was. Antifa people, I think it was Antifa who did that one, who killed this guy. It was all planned out. They had actually been trained to do that. It was a common method that's used in crowds. And so the enemy really is trying to to draw us in the situations and and wanting us to explode. It may be virtual. Don't do that, y'all. Listen, quit saying a bunch of stuff on the internet that's ridiculous like you think you're going to change people's minds. They're not going to listen to you. Okay? Unless Jesus himself tells you to. And that's the only chance of anybody hearing anything if he tells you. But if you just have this need to express your opinion, you need to ask God what spirit... I'm just telling you, y'all. I'm just telling you the truth. You need to ask God what spirit's working on your heart because the enemy's trying to trick you and draw you into something and create some havoc in your life. You don't need that havoc. That's just a, I want, you know, that's not, that's just the way it is, y'all. Come on. Okay, yes, praise the Lord, right? (laughs) I got to get going here. All right, so number two, the battle, the battle is the Lord's. Number one, association. Number two, the battle has to be the Lord. Ask the Lord. That doesn't mean you're not ever supposed to post stuff or have engaged people. Take the time and ask the Lord before you do it. And go on the witness of the Spirit inside of you, not your emotions. Okay? If you go on your emotions, mm, it ain't going to be well. And you, you know, in this day and age we live in, we just don't know. We, you know, like that guy was just telling me, I would have never known this kind of stuff is going on, that people are that well trained to their murder squads to actually kill people. And this guy was really urging people, like, do not go out, even go to any of those riots. Don't go out of curiosity. Stay away from them. Just stay away. You know, because, you know, of course, we don't have that happening here by the grace of God. I pray they won't be, but you never know. Anyways, let me read this. Are y'all good now? Everybody's all happy. And if you're one of those posters, you should be mad at me. And you're a little irritated with me. And you know what? I hope you are. I want to challenge you on that. I want to challenge you. It's what you're doing. Is it of God? Is it what Jesus wants you to do? You ask yourself that question. You get serious about it. And if all you're doing is demanding, then mm -mm, let me just get out of that. Praise the Lord. I want to read this verse 14 and 15 in here. 
about these men. Uh, actually, this is what I preached on last night, but this is not what I'm talking about. Just in case Tommy and Libby, y'all are here, it's not the same thing. <laughs> oh, Lord help. Uh, David was standing in the stronghold that time, and a Philistine detachment had occupied the town of Bethlehem. In other words, there was an occupation, occupational army there. David remarked longingly to his men, Oh, how I'd love some of that good water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem. So there was something, I just love that, longing. Y'all have any longings in your heart? You know, that's just one of the beautiful words. I, there's just things in us that we long for. And David expressed that. I don't think NLT is exactly accurate here that he said it to his men. If you read all the other translations, it's like David was basically just saying that. He was expressing with his mouth something that was in his heart. And it actually says these three mightiest men that I just read, they actually heard. Listen to me. They heard something. They heard the longing of David's heart. Okay? They heard the longings of his heart. Listen. There were 400 men. I don't know that the other 400 heard David say it. They probably didn't. You know, there was probably some far away where they couldn't. But I, I had to believe there were other of those men that heard David say those words. Okay? But only three of them really heard it. And only three of them, those three men, just to let you know what happened, they went... 15 miles away. That's, where, that's how far Bethlehem was, approximately 15 miles away. They went at the risk of their lives. They risked their lives to go down there and get David a jug of water. They had to fight their way into that place. Of course, a guy can kill 800 people, you know, like, I'm, I'm right behind you, dude. You know, I'm here. You know, what do you know? I need to carry for you while you do all the fighting. You know, you'd feel pretty confident with these three guys. And if they're going to fight their way, they probably are going to be able to succeed. They fought their way in there, lowered that thing down in there, got that water, fought their way out back and brought it to David and gave it to him. And if you read the rest of the story, it's just beautiful. David, David wouldn't drink it. He poured it out on the ground. He said, this is, this is the blood of these men. It was one of those profound acts of worship and honor to those men and to God. It was, wow. it was just a beautiful thing. You know, I mentioned this last night, and I, I really hate I mentioned it because it just I felt like it just didn't go, is that when Jesus was dying on the cross, y'all know there were seven sayings of the cross, like that's an amazing, beautiful revelation. Each of those sayings that Jesus had on the cross, they were just packed with beauty, beautiful things. But one of the things that Jesus said as he was dying, I thirst. I don't know. It just seems to me when David said he longed for that water, you know what I'm saying? It was, a, it was like a prophetic declaration of what Jesus was going to. It, it was just powerful. It's just, I don't know. I, I, God, I wish I knew something about that is important to God. Something that God has things in his heart. Y'all, God has things deep in his heart that he longs for. And there are some people that hear it. There's people that hear that. Thank God, God make us those people. Yeah. Not just to hear words. Because I think there's so many times I read the Bible and I'm just hearing words of the Bible, but I'm missing the heart of God. I'm missing the, the thing that makes it special. The thing that, that changes everything. Because I can read the Bible and walk away the same, but... I, I can't read the Bible and hear God's longing heart and walk away the same. It's going to do something to me. It's going to force me into a decision. It's going to force me to risk my life for what God wants, to lay my life down for what He longs for or going about my business. And God is looking for these people. He's looking for us to be able to hear His heart. And I don't know how to hear it except for to ask him, God, please let me hear your heart. Please let me hear your heart. I don't want to go through life just hearing what everybody else hears. I just don't want that for my life. I didn't sign up for Christianity like that. 
I found out to be connected to the heart of God. That's what I wanted. And I believe God wants that for us. And I don't know how to get there except for ask for it. And when it does happen here and there, a little inkling, somebody, Maya mentioned that revelation words, right? Was was that the phrase? Revelation, well, I think also the Passion Translation uses revelation light. Every once in a while, it's like this light, this crack under the door. The door's cracking, there's this light. Well, I'll tell you, when that happens, bust through that door. Don't ask. That's the invitation. Bust through the door. Just say, I'm going there, period. If you had to crawl over the top of people. Because that don't happen every day, y'all. I wish it did. I'd give anything if I could every day have that. But God doesn't do that like that. It would probably become too common for us. We would probably get messed up. We'd probably be so ridiculous. You know, let me just say this. Gosh. David, later in life, I think around 50 years old, in his 50s, committed adultery and murder. Okay? We all know that. This is after all this stuff happened to him. After all, that's what's so terrible. After all that God did. And you know, somebody was telling me this. Or, I don't know. God, you know what God said? David, if it wasn't enough, why didn't you ask me? If what I've given you wasn't enough, just why didn't you ask me and I'd have given you more? You didn't have to do this. If you didn't have enough girls, just ask me how to give you a girl. You didn't have to go kill a man and get his girl. Especially one of your mighty men. Uriah was one of David's mighty men. And I've wondered about that, perhaps. What I just said to you about this revelation thing is David had a lot of revelation. But you know, revelation has to be lived out. Or it becomes just knowledge. Knowledge doesn't work. I'm talking about just natural knowledge. It doesn't work. I've wondered, is, did that happen to David? Did God reveal all this stuff? But a lot of it, he didn't, it didn't really work out in his life. He didn't, wasn't able to live it. And when he came as a 50-something-year-old guy, does something like that? I mean, you know, but praise God. God redeemed all that. And, and the New Testament has nothing but good things to say about David. That's just a thought, y'all. Yeah, it is true, Larry. So I just wanted to mention, I'm going to stop here in a minute. <laughs> I just want to remind us about in the New Testament, you know, we see a glimpse of this when, G, you know, Peter, James, and John, right? They saw some things. They saw Peter's mother-in-law heal. They went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw Jairus' daughter healed. Right? They saw when Jesus was in the garden, he let them come nearer to him than he did the other guys. You ever thought about that? Those people, those men, those three men saw stuff that no other human being will ever see. They experienced it. They were right there on that mountain. In fact, Peter said later that thing totally unraveled him, totally changed his life, what he saw and experienced. And I've often wondered about that. Lord, what in the world? What's the deal here? How come everybody else didn't get to go? But I don't know. There's no answer in the Bible because I've been trying to find that answer. Let me read this one to you. You know why I want to know that answer? Be honest with you. Because all my life I felt like I never fit in. And whatever was good wasn't for me. That's orphan poverty thinking. Okay? My belief is this. My personal belief, I can't prove it to you by the Bible. But if God's going on Mount Transfiguration, I can go. You hear what I'm saying? I'm not going to be excluded. I can go. I don't know why those other nine guys just didn't go. Like, I'm going. I, I'm sorry. I'm going. He called them three. Okay, I'm in. Tell me, you know, I'd just rather go ahead and do it than get fussed at for doing it. At least I showed up. 
let me read this beautiful verse here, okay? I got to stop. The disciples, this is beautiful. I love this. John 13, 23, I'm reading this from the Passion Translation. The disciple that Jesus dearly loved, don't you love that? Was at the right of him at the table and was leaning his head on Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? That that man had the, he had the seat of honor. John, the beloved, he had the seat of honor. And he was able to put his head over there on Jesus' shoulder. Maybe it slipped down to his heart. <laughs> Can you imagine him getting drunk in the spirit? You know, slowly but surely sliding when he was here in Jesus. I've always imagined him hearing the heartbeat of God at that moment. That's what I've always imagined. Wow, he was listening to the heartbeat of God. Can you imagine what that would do to you if you heard God's heart beating and felt his heart? I believe that man felt God's heart. Think about it. He wrote the gospel. John wrote three letters, wrote revelations. And I believe it had a lot to do with hearing the heart of God, that God was willing to share all this stuff with him and let him see all these things that nobody else got to see. Honestly, he had... He was the great John the Revelator. That's what he became because he received so much revelation. And I believe he received that revelation because of his, he heard like those three mighty men. He heard something that nobody else heard. He heard the heart of God. He heard the heart of God. I'm not talking about somebody speaking for God. I'm saying he heard it himself. And it moved him and it changed him. And I don't think we do well in life without hearing the heart of God. I just don't think we do well. I don't think we, I don't think, I don't do well. Let me just say, I don't do well. I don't do well knowing about God. I don't do well knowing about the right thing to do with my life and how to act right. If that's all I got, I'm not going to do well. I'm going to fail. But when I begin to connect with God on a, that kind of level, that's at me at my best. I'm at my absolute best at that moment. Because then I am so connected and have so much unity with Him. What He wants, what He desires, supersedes what I want. Let me read this verse to you, and we'll be stopping here. I got two more verses, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I'm trying to comfort you. <laughs> This is spiritual warfare, y'all. This is the way to win the war. This is the way to overcome. This is the way to be able to walk in victory and peace. Listen to what, this is Luke in Acts 15 speaking. Uh, or did he wrote this? This is James that actually, James, the brother of the Lord, he was like the lead man in the church in Jerusalem. Uh, we understand that some men from here have troubled you and upset you with their teaching, but we did not send them. He's writing a letter to Gentile church. Yeah. We didn't send these guys. These guys were preaching legalism. We didn't send them. We want you to know that. So we decided, having come to complete agreement, to send you official representatives. Sounds pretty, pretty formal here. Along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, also and everything shifts. Listen. Man, who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's probably the best testimony in the Bible. When it really gets right down to it for Paul and Barnabas, we think about Paul, all other things, but here James is saying they risked their lives for Jesus Christ. They risked his lives for his fame, for his name. That's a champion of the Lord. That's a mighty man. That's a man who's going to overcome and win. That's a man who's going to bring the life of God into the earth. It's a man who's, been, who's willing to lay their life down and not live for self, not live for the passing pleasures of this world. Listen, like I said before, God wants us to enjoy the passing pleasures of this world. He wants us to have them. The problem is, I see with our generation of Christians, I'm talking about us all, is... Those things have us. That's right. 
You see what I'm saying? Those passing pleasures, the desires, they have us. We don't have them. They have a hold of us. And as long as they have a hold of us, it's going to be very hard to connect and connect with that heart of God. It really is, y'all. And I'm saying, I'm not saying this down to you. I'm saying this is me. This is my problem in my life. Is things grip my heart and become too important to me. And I have these desires that I want God to do for me. And when he don't do them, I get aggravated with him and disappointed. That's being a human. But when we begin to recognize those things, and we begin to recognize there's something better than all of that. Arthur Burke told us for years, the greater includes the lesser, but the lesser never includes the greater. And that's what, that's what this means. If you can grab a hold of the heart of God, you can have all these things. He, Jesus said it really plain. What did he say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will come with it. All these things will come with it. He promised us that. But he said, don't seek those things. Seek me. Seek my heart. Seek my righteousness. Seek who I am. And as we do that, then he can bring all, you know, the club med thing. You know, you go on a vacation, it's food, it's, you know, golfing trips, and everything's included. You don't have to even think. Just show up. That's the way they can. Can I read one more verse to you? This is the last one. This is beautiful. I'm only reading the first part because it goes downhill after that. It's kind of a rebuke, but half of it's really beautiful. Uh, the eyes of the, they probably put the whole thing up there. No, don't read the what fool you have been. <laughs> for now on you'll be at war. <laughs> That's for somebody else. We don't want to be fools. I love the first part. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth. I found David. I was looking for him. Don't you think God's still looking for David's? In order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. David had his failures in his life. Obviously, he made some disinterrogation. But there was this thing in David that he was fully committed to the Lord, except for those rare moments where he completely blew it. And there was grace to restore him and help him. But the Lord really is looking for people like David. And I'll tell you this, God will anoint people like that. Amen. He really will. He'll pour anointing on them. And he's asking us. I, I feel like God is just, I don't know why. I don't know why, but I just feel like there's something in God that he's not giving. And that we had to give it to him. And it's really us. Wow. It's ourselves. It's, they don't have, and maybe what I'm confessing about is maybe God doesn't have me fully, but there's something I feel that God wants. Like David wanted that water. He longed for it. And like Jesus hanging on the cross, he was thirsting for something. He was thirsting for us. I mean, in the natural, obviously, he was dehydrated beyond measure because all his bodily fluids, his blood, his water, everything was flowing out of his body. But he was thirsting for us because that was God. God was thirsting for us. God himself. And God's just looking for people who will say, Lord, I can't do this, obviously, but I want to do this. This is what I want. I'm choosing this today, Lord. I want to be that person, Lord. I want to be like a David. That's what God's asking us. That's, that's it. That's, that's what I believe. And I believe if David was the most successful warrior in the Bible, he was the most successful. And he was able to multiply that out to many people. That they, people who were connected to David became, became that. So I just want to, I want to pray, you know, and Marlon, you come on up here. I want to pray, I want to pray for us today that somehow God would let us hear his heart, that we would begin to hear things that God longs for, that somehow, somehow supernaturally, somehow mystically, I don't know, just, but we would hear we would hear God's heart. We would, we'd hear it 
and we'd be like those three mighty men, we'd act on it. We'd find out, oh, this is what God wants. Let's go do this. Let's give God what God wants. And I believe in the middle of doing that, we'll find that God will give everything to us, that we will begin to enjoy everything. So let me just pray. If you want that, won't you lift your hands to the Lord if, if you would like that? And say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Isaiah, uh, after he had this powerful experience in Isaiah chapter 6, he heard the Lord's heart. He heard something. That's what we need, Lord. We need to hear something like Isaiah heard. Uh, Lord, just bring about that repentance in us. Bring about that Holy Ghost fire from the altar of God onto our minds, our lips, our hearts. Father, today, and we would hear that those words... Uh, that he heard that changed his life, changed the direction of Isaiah's life. It's when you said, who, who will go for us? He heard heard the longing. So I just pray, Lord, for everybody in this room, including me, that want to hear your heart, hear the longing of your heart. I just ask you to bring them into an encounter with you. I pray for an encounter where people would begin to hear and come out of that encounter hearing the very heart of God himself. Lord, I just bless your people. I thank you for them. I pray, Lord, you would seal them, seal this in their heart. And Lord, I ask you to do it. I pray that even as we read the Bible, we wouldn't just read the words. We would hear something. We would see something we've never seen before. And it would bring fire into us. It would bring life into us. It would give us vision again, Lord. We would not be people who were beat down. We wouldn't be divided people. We wouldn't be broken people constantly, Lord. But we would come into something, Lord. Lord, I'm asking you to do that today in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I'm going to tell you, thank you for your name. Thank you for the name of Jesus. Thank you that you have given us your name. That we have your name. That Jesus Christ has given us his name. We have the name. We are part of the family. And we can use the authority of that name. And we're pulling on that name today. To release all those great and precious promises from heaven into our life in the name of Jesus. Amen. So thank you there, Byron, for being honest, open, and vulnerable. So I don't know whether you have the heart of God in that one, right? It's called an invitation. So the Father just invited us this morning into something greater than us. Amen? So can we have the ministry team come up on either side? And if you need somebody to agree with you, to pray with you, If you have sickness in your body and you need somebody to lay hands on you, please avail yourself.